Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Uh, just, uh, I had been anticipating a four-week series on, um, on regeneration, and late this week it became very evident to me that there would need to be at least five. And so uh, we'll have at least five as we consider the various uh, implications and applications of this glorious doctrine of regeneration. And tonight, uh, regeneration and the renewed you. Regeneration and the renewed you. And we will see as we read Titus chapter 3 how desperately we need to be renewed and renewed from above as we read of our plight, what we might call our, uh, our uh, uh, pre-existing condition of sin. Um, Titus chapter 3 verses 1 through 10. Paul writes to Titus as well as to us. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. To be obedient. To be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling. To be gentle. And to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid fullest controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him knowing that such a person is warped and sinful because he is self-condemned. This is God's Word. Holy Spirit, we do again pray for your blessing upon us as we look into it. The doctrine of justification has been at various times in the church, uh, history of the church neglected. And I think it is being neglected now, and it is, it is a critical that we restore it into our own minds and hearts and practices. The, the doctrine of regeneration was a major theme, if not the major theme, of such revivalist preachers such as George Whitfield. Uh, he would also, they would also stress justification by faith, but 
regeneration was considered to be the more necessary doctrine at that time. And we might say now that the both of them together need to be held and, and preached equally. Now, the interest in regeneration in, in my life it was uh, it reached uh, it was spiked during the presidency of Jimmy Carter. Those about my age might remember him being identified as the born again president, and it was spoken also uh, often in an embarrassed way. That kind of language: "Oh, he's a real Christian, and others are not." But our goal during these weeks together, and I, I pray that all of us at Faith Church will be able to sink our lives and our hearts and minds deeply into this. Our goal is to be, is that the doctrine of regeneration would be seen as very practical and it would be a vital part of your theology and your life and mine as well and that it would increase, it would raise our expectancy for the Holy Spirit's work in us. What he has started and what he is continuing to do. That it would be elevated as we consider this doctrine of, the re, of, of regeneration. Now we have just two points this morning, uh, this evening. Uh, two points. Uh, the one is our need for regeneration. We need it. And secondly, God's gift of re- regeneration. So you need it. And God gives it. Now, as we look in, uh, in chapter 3 of, of Titus, we, we look at, at what we really are like. First of all, what we are like as those who have been saved. Look with me again uh, at, um, at, verses, at verses 1 and 2. This is what is ex- expected of you. This is what is reasonable for you. This is appropriate for who you are. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. To be obedient. To be ready for every good work. And here are some of the good works. To speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling. To be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. That's all. Just do those things. Now, who does it sound like? That's a description of Jesus, isn't it? It is Jesus' character that is now expected of you and me. But hear this, and hear this well. We'll be coming back to this throughout this, this series. That is that God gives what he requires. God gives through the ministry of the Spirit and through the work of regeneration. We'll, we'll call uh, one regeneration in the narrow sense. That is the beginning of our Christian life. And then also regeneration in the broader sense, the ongoing work of renewal. God gives what he requires. But then you look at our preconditions, our, our pre-existing condition in verse 3, this is what we once were. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. What a mess! 
we are we were foolish without spiritual understanding our minds were not directed properly to what is beautiful and good to God himself that led to disobedience we lived out such foolishness and you can fill in the blanks on your own life we were deceived and enslaved the tyranny of the devil is behind the uh, systemic wickedness of people we are captured by our own passions and pleasures and enslaved by the adversary's deception and this leads to the ugly behavior of malice and that two-way hatred just going back and forth Let me ask you this. How could that person become a Christian? How could someone like that become as beautiful as Jesus? Well, that's who we really are and that's who we really were. And we then see what regeneration is not. It is not a series of things that regeneration is not. It is not essentially... Making a decision. Coming to the point in our lives where we choose to follow Jesus. It is not essentially walking down an aisle. It is not even receiving the sign of baptism. Those things are not what regeneration essentially is. It is not dedicating your life to Christ when I really mean it this time. It is not believing certain doctrines. It certainly includes that. But regeneration is not essentially asserting to certain theological truths. Regeneration is certainly not a a matter of sort of self-starting the Christian life. Self-igniting your Christian experience. And somehow by your own strength to be able over a period of time to become more pleasing to God. And you might argue with me and say, well, wait a minute, doesn't Jesus say you must be born again? He does say that, and we'll be looking at that next week. But the order is very important here. Nowhere is it said that you must be born again that you must um, believe Christ, excuse me, before you are born again. The order is very important. Be born again so that you can accept Christ. It's not what God does after you believe in Christ. It is what God does to awaken the dead, dead in sin, without any ability to do anything for his or her salvation That is the person that God causes by His grace to be born again. Well, I want to look this, I want to look then at God's gift of regeneration. What is it? This is what God gives to us. Uh, Four main points here uh, that we want to look at. Um, What is, first of all, what is regeneration? I'll I'll read this. Uh, This is, I'll read it a couple of times. I would like you to get this uh, very carefully. God's imparting new life in us by the Holy Spirit so that we are willing and able to turn from sin and embrace Christ and giving us a new disposition so we delight to obey Him. 
God's imparting new life in us by the Holy Spirit so that we are willing and able to turn from sin and embrace Christ and giving us a new disposition so we delight to obey Him. In the words of one of my professors at seminary, shortened up a little bit, it is a sovereign act of God giving us new spiritual life or, or, or giving a new spiritual life in us. A sovereign act of God giving a new spiritual life in us. Let, let me read verses 4 and 5 of our text. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according, according to the hope of eternal life. That's regeneration, a sovereign gift of God of new life only by His grace. Uh, this is, uh, this is um, second, the second point here is that regeneration is God's ignition of new life. God's ignition, God's starting that process of the new life that we experience. Having been chosen before the foundation of the world in time, uh, God ignites that new life in us. Uh, those of you who have been around Faith Church uh, for as long as I have may remember that uh, when Gail and, Ar- Gail and I arrived here, we had a, a Buick Park Avenue. Uh, it was a gift from Gail's, uh, from Gail's uh, dad. And uh, we, we actually, and I'd always wanted to do this, we flew to California back in 08, and we drove it here uh, to, to, the, to the East Coast. We drove it across the country. And just, just imagine with me, um, you're sitting in your living room and you're, you're shooting down the highway. That's what it's like to drive this Park Avenue. We were, we sat there for, for days and just cruising and we listened to a couple of books on, on CD, Lincoln Lawyer, a lot of, a lot of, a uh, lot of fun with that. And, and, uh, amazingly, we got, we got 32 miles a gallon total, including up and then down the Rocky Mountains. It's an amazing trip. Um, I, I don't think of myself as a Park Avenue driver, and so I had mixed feelings when it became evident after a while that we really needed to get rid of it. The problem was the ignition was sporadic. There were times when it would fire up and you'd shoot down the road, and many times it just wouldn't. It was just dead. Nothing happened. Turn the key. Battery, alternator, things were looked at, checked, replaced. They couldn't find the problem. There is a problem when you do not find ignition. The ignition went bad and could not, the car could not at times start. Something like that going on, very much like that going on. The idea that regeneration is God's ignition of the new life. It is a non-negotiable thing. God's ignition. God is the one who starts your spiritual life. God sovereignly gives that explosion of new life. Like the spark igniting that, that the, uh, the gas in the, in the cylinder. 
to spark the power and spark that combustion. It is a grace-infused life. It is a new spiritual life, so much so that there is a break with the past. And there is that second birth, or as John will see next week, that, that birth from above that breaks into our lives. Um, it is uh, This ignition is also irreplaceable. It happens once. It cannot be substituted with anything else. It is irreplaceable. Imagine with me that you wake up one morning, and maybe this happens to you from time to time, and you're just not feeling it. You may feel a little bit insecure or scared or self-absorbed, and you just sort of, you're left with a sense of your own resources and your own capacities. What do you do? You remember that God's ignition of new life is irreplaceable. It is necessary and irreplaceable. And what God starts, He finishes. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. He has given birth in your life and He will grow you up. The babies right across the street here, the babies across the parking lot, God caused them to be born and He will grace them with what they need to grow up. He doesn't leave you. He doesn't leave you. He starts. He finishes what He starts. So this ignition is irreplaceable. It is also powerful. And we will be seeing that, just lightly here, but we will be seeing that the same power that God used to bring about the creation of the world, the universe, the same power that He used to raise Christ from the dead and that will bring about the restoration of all things, the second regeneration. That is the same power that God has unleashed in your life and in mine to ignite spiritual life in us. It comes from God. It is irreplaceable. It is powerful. It is God's ignition of spiritual reality and spiritual life in us. Edwards, Jonathan Edwards tells us something about this new life implanted in us that I think is very important for us to remember. This is the way he describes the new life that God has given to us. It's almost an effect of this new life. We are enabled by... We are enabled by regeneration, by the new life that comes into us by the Spirit. We are enabled to see beauty, finally. To see beauty, to behold that which is most beautiful in all of life. To see beautiful, to see what is beautiful, to see beauty. We um, see who Jesus is. He is described here in, in, in verse, in verse uh, 4. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, we see Jesus as good and having loving kindness, being steadfast love for us. We see what is really beautiful. And then we begin, that's the beginning of the Christian life, and, and then over time, our, our taste for what is beautiful deepens. 
Now, I want to read, I want to read this evening a, a pretty long section. This is, this is found in, in Sinclair Ferguson's Know Your Christian Life, and it is a, a section from uh, the Narnia tale, The Last Battle. And it was towards the end of time, and he pictures a group of dwarves that are met by the children who've entered into this mysterious kingdom of Narnia. And, and then uh, Aslan, the uh, Narnia savior and, and lion king, appears. And then this is a scene that is uh, being described here. Um, um, kids in, enjoy this. Adults, big people enjoy this as well. Aslan, said Lucy through her tears, could you, will you do something for these poor dwarfs? Dearest, said Aslan, I will show you both what I can and what I cannot do. He came close to the dwarfs and gave a low growl. Low, um, but it set all the earth, all the air shaking. But the dwarfs said to one another, hear that? That's the gang at the other end of the stable trying to frighten us. They do it with a machine of some kind. Don't take any notice. They won't take us in again. Aslan raised his head and shook his mane. Instantly, a glorious feast appeared on the dwarf's knees. Pies and tongues and pigeons and trifles and ices. And each dwarf had a goblet of good wine in his right hand. But it wasn't much use. They began eating and drinking greedily enough, but it was clear that they couldn't taste it properly. They thought that they were eating and drinking only the sort of things you might find in a stable. One said he was trying to eat hay, and another said he got a bit of an old turnip, and a third said he found a raw cabbage leaf. And they raised golden goblets of red, rich red wine to their lips and said, Ugh! Fancy drinking dirty water out of a trough that a donkey's been at. Never thought we'd come to this. But very soon, every dwarf began suspecting that every other dwarf had found something nicer than he had. And they started grabbing and snatching and went on to quarreling till in a few minutes there was a, f- a free fight and all the good food was smeared on their faces and clothes or trodden underfoot. But when at last they sat down to nurse their black eyes and their bleeding noses, they all, they all said, Well, at any rate, there's no humbug here. We haven't let anyone take us in. The dwarfs are for the dwarfs. You see, said Aslan, they will not let us help them. They have chosen cunning instead of belief. Their prison is only in their own minds, yet they are in that prison and so afraid of being taken in that they cannot be taken out. Until the sovereign, regenerating power of God. That is how we see. The believer is now able to see true beauty. Well, lastly here then, um, in regeneration, it is not a replacement life, but a renewed life. Not a replacement, but a renewed life. 
We are not a totally new creation as God made all things ex nihilo from nothing. God doesn't start over either with us or with the cosmos, but he restores us to our true design and purpose and only better. When we are born again, a dramatic miracle happens. When we are born again, we are turned into people. And he makes us to be spiritual people. After the fall, we remain as image bearers of God, but defaced. We have lost the moral goodness that we had at creation. In regeneration, sin's deformity begins to be reshaped. And we become liberated from sin's futility and bondage. And we are able, by the Spirit, to live in intimate communion and fellowship with God Himself. We are the same, but we're also very, very different. You have much the same personality as you had before you were saved, but you are different. You are gentler now. Or perhaps you are stronger and more courageous than you were. You enjoy beauty more now because as you perceive beauty, you also perceive nature's God. And that all of the beauty that we see around us is a reflection of God who is all beautiful. We are better able to handle correction. We are less hostile. We are more amenable to living well with others. We are able then, by God's grace, to do the good works that are listed seven times in this little letter. And we see those good works as truly good. And so that's what we want our our hearts have been changed our desires have been changed still with our with with the same person that we were born as but now much better not a replacement life but a renewed life well that's that's what we want to get at today that this regeneration is something that you desperately need but cannot bring about and it is god's ignition of this new life that is an irreplaceable and a necessary part and very powerful. I want to ask you just a couple of questions as we conclude here. And first of all, uh, do you see yourself in verses 1 and 2? Do you see yourself as like Jesus? Let me read those verses again. Submissive to rulers and authorities, obedient to be ready for every good work. Does this describe you? You speak evil of no one. You avoid quarreling. You don't step into it. You are gentle. And you show perfect courtesy towards all people. Do you see that life of Jesus in yourself? I'm not asking if you are perfect. That would be silly. I am saying, do you have 
the life of God in you, where that is the direction, observably, that is the direction that you're going. Are you moving? The question is, is not, have you arrived? The question is, to what, in what direction are you facing? Toward this character of Jesus. Or, and this is a critical question, do you see yourself more accurately described in verse 3? We are what we once were, foolish and disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy and, and hatred. This is a great, a great and important question for uh, churchgoers to, to, uh, to know their own hearts well enough to realize, to be able to discern, am I heading towards the beauty of God? I get concerned, very concerned, when I hear of believers, people who are members of the church, but have so little taste for God, so little taste and hunger for His Word. And they may even look at, uh, and their time in His Word is an often shirked duty in which there is so little delight, if any. Well, to you, I say, to you who are pointed in the right direction, the direction of God's holiness, and to you who must under careful self-examination see, I'm not sure if I'm even there yet. To both of you, this is my call tonight. Open wide your mouth to God and He will fill it. Turn from idolatries Turn from that false worship and God kindly invites you. He doesn't just command you to keep the first commandment. He does that. But He also says, come to Me and open your mouth. As wide as you open your mouth, that is how much I will fill it with My mercy and kindness and goodness and loving kindness. Open wide your mouth to Me and I will fill it. Well, thirdly, uh, do you have assurance that you are saved and that by God? This doctrine of regeneration will uh, lead us away from basing our, our assurance on a level of feeling. It will even direct us away from comparing the way we came to Christ and the way others may have come to Christ in a more flamboyant or a more... A more um, interesting fashion than ourselves. We'll be looking away from our level of experience and recognizing that the new life, that regeneration, it is God's ignition, it is irreversible, and it is powerful. To be born again is to recognize that God has started something truly amazing and to be thankful for it day after day. Let's pray. God and Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for mercy from heaven uh, that lifts us out of the death and desperation of being lost sinners and brings us to a place of, of uh, confirmed safety and security in your family. We're gracious for that. We're gracious for that life that you've given to us. And so we pray, O oh Lord, that you would strengthen each one of us in this knowledge and a practical knowledge of this regeneration so that we may live for your glory and honor. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.